0: First time going, you're welcome to walk them to class across the hall, meet the teachers, see the classroom. If not, they can be picked up at the conclusion of the service. Thank you to all who volunteer uh, teaching Children's Church in the nursery. It's behind the scenes ministry that is a gift to our kids and it is a gift to all of us in here. Um, All right, we're in a series right now in the book of Jonah. Uh, which regardless of your church background, I'm guessing you have heard something about Jonah before. Um, The book of Jonah is known as a a literary masterpiece, not just by people who believe the Bible, but also by people who don't believe the Bible. It's it's fascinating. It's amazingly written. Uh, But it's more than that. Um, It shows us God's compassion in surprising ways to surprising people. And our passage today, it highlights um, one of those moments in life Uh, where God gets our attention. I wonder if you've ever experienced something like that. A moment where God got your attention. Um, Some event or situation happens and it just brings you to the end of yourself. And it's as though you look up at God and say, okay, you've got my attention. I'm listening. What do you have for me? Um, You're at the bottom. God has your attention. How do you respond? This is Jonah. Jonah. Chapter 117 through all of chapter 2. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. And uh, all your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God." When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we do thank You for Your Word. Thank You that You speak to us through Your Word. And, oh, Holy Spirit, would You do that now. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in Your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, I want you to think for a moment. uh, Where were you? on September 11th, 2001. Um, Some of you were not alive yet, uh, or some of you were too young to remember, but if you were born uh, before like 1990-ish or around 1990, I'm guessing you remember that day vividly. Um, I was a senior at Park Hill High School, sitting in my first hour class. It was at the end of class. It was child growth and development. Um, Our principal came on the intercom, and he made the announcement about the attack on the World Trade Centers in New York. At the, after he made the announcement, the bell rang to signal the end of class. And I just remember walking out into the hall at my high school. And even as, as high school kids, we just like had no clue how to think about this. We were like zombies walking through the hall. Um, and then for the rest of the day, um, the, the teachers in our other classes, remember the big TV carts? Um, they wheeled in those giant TVs. So TVs used to be enormous. They took up a whole cart and there was, like, a thing called a VCR that was on there also with, like, cords everywhere. So they wheeled in the TV carts, and we just watched the news all day at my high school, uh, which, going, looking back, was maybe not the best way to spend eight hours as a high schooler. But, um, and, we, and we just tried to take it all in. I remember my cross-country practice was canceled that day. Every after-school event was canceled. So we all, we just went home and watched the news, and we just sat there in shock. I remember the details of that day so vividly. I bet we could go around this room and hear each of your stories. Very vivid details um, from that one event. And just think about September 11th. um, One significant event with massive changes that came from it. Uh, Whether it was the, the military response or how we think about safety or terrorism or how air travel Changed massively just from that one event. Um, That 9-11 was a catalyst for one of my high school friends to enlist in the army and to go overseas. But it was such a big event that got our attention and caused significant changes. And sometimes God intervenes in our lives in big ways with big events to get our attention and to bring about change. That's what's happening in this Jonah passage. He was on the run from God. God told him to go to Nineveh. He ignored it, went a different direction. God sent a storm to the ship. We looked at this last week. He was thrown overboard, was sure he was going to die. Then a giant fish swallows him up. And we find him alive in the belly of a fish, praying. And this big event, it stops Jonah in his tracks. It gets his attention. And it's going to cause some changes. And so here's the question I want us to think about this afternoon. How should we respond when God gets our attention? How shall we respond when God gets our attention? Three headings this afternoon. I want to look at a change in posture. Change in posture, a change in direction. Then I want to ask what caused the change. All right, but first, chapter 1, verse 17. Did a big fish really swallow Jonah? And did he really survive inside the belly of this big fish for three days and three nights? Yes and yes. Um, Every commentary that I read this week uh, said this about the passage. Do not get distracted by the fish. There are much greater things happening in this passage. Um, so at the risk of being distracted by the fish, I do want to address that. I was talking to, talking to my kids about this passage, and one of them said, Dad, did that really happen? I said, yes, that really happened. Okay, it really happened, and it tells us at least two things about God. The first is this. It tells us that God is sovereign over all of his creation. Everything that God made, He has control over. He's sovereign over it. There's nothing that happens outside of His power and control. And He even has power and control over things like large fish. So He can appoint it, as the passage says, to do whatever He wants it to do, including swallow a person. By the way, we saw God's sovereignty over creation in the last passage we looked at in Jonah where He causes the big storm to come and uh, wreak havoc on the ship. That's a theme of the book of Jonah, God's sovereignty over His creation. We see that with the big fish here second thing that this fish tells us about God it tells us about the, the reality of supernatural miraculous events uh, because God can do whatever he wants miraculous things like this can happen now onward to the passage we're not going to get distracted by the fish So first, a change in posture. Let's talk about a change in posture. There is a massive change in Jonah's posture that happens in our passage. We could say that his posture changed from fighting against God to surrendering to God. From fighting against God to surrendering to God. Um, And even as we look at Jonah's change, it would be good for us to think about um, our own posture with God. Whether we're fighting against him, resisting him, at odds with him right now. Maybe in life in general or in a particular issue or situation or whether we're surrendering to him. Jonah moves from a posture of fighting to surrendering. How do we see this? He's in the belly of the fish. What does Jonah do? He prays. He prays. And it's not just that he's praying, but we see this change in posture in how he's praying. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. It says, "Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and He answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Okay, if you go back and look at chapter 1, when God speaks directly to Jonah, tells him to go to Nineveh, Jonah does not verbally respond to God, at least it's not recorded if he did. He gets up and he runs from God. But he doesn't talk to Him. He doesn't pray. He's not like um, wrestling through this Nineveh decision with his Prayer and accountability group, trying to decide what to do. God tells him to go. He doesn't do it. He leaves. Doesn't talk to God. He just runs. But then you see this change happen here. He's praying. He's talking to God in our passage. And there's an interesting play on words in our passage. He says he's crying out from the belly of Sheol. Maybe you've seen that word. If you have ever read through the Old Testament, you have seen that word. Sheol it has a range of meaning. It's not easy to nail down. It has a range of meaning depending on the context. But it's typically associated with the place of the dead. Being away from God, away from his presence in the darkness. And so he's in the belly of the fish. But he's crying out to God saying he's in the belly of Sheol. He's saying, I am far from you, God. As an aside, um, recognizing that you're far from God is a good thing. Um, It just might be a sign of God's grace at work in you. Um, Recognizing that you're far away from God is much better than the alternative of being far from God and not knowing that you're far from Him. And Jonah in this moment recognizes that he's far from God. He owns it. He realizes it and he owns it before God. Then look at verse 3. He acknowledges that God was the one that brought the storm. He says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Um, That's not the language of someone fighting against God. That's the language of someone surrendering to God. He's like a a wrestler who is tapping out on the mat. And then verse 7, look down a little ways. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Uh, So this massive event in Jonah's life, it's gotten his attention. He thought he was going to die, rattles him, and this change in posture takes place. From fighting against God to surrendering to God. All right, kids, I want you to think about the last time um, that you got in trouble or that you knew you were going to get in trouble with your parents. Um, I'm sure that's rare, but if you can think of a time where this happened recently, I want you to to think about that in your mind. Um, I'm willing to bet that when you broke whatever rule that you broke and you knew you were guilty, that you didn't want to talk to your parents while you knew you were guilty. I'm guessing you avoided them, um, didn't want to talk to them, just so you wouldn't have to feel guilty around them and you wouldn't be found out. And I'm going to take it one step further. I bet you didn't want to even see them either because you knew you had broken that rule and you were guilty. So it's not that you you didn't want to talk to them. You didn't want to see your parents because seeing them would remind remind you that you have done something wrong. Um, That's the feeling that we see here with Jonah. When he was running with God, he wasn't talking to God, he was avoiding Him. But We also see that he wouldn't even look at Him. He wasn't going to the place, the temple, where he could meet with God and be in His presence and see God. But his posture changes here. Suddenly he's praying again. We also see a change in that he's looking at God. He's looking at God again. Look at verse 4. He talks about being driven away from the sight of God. He's feeling God's heavy hand on him. He's acknowledging his rebellion. He's distancing in his relationship with the Lord. But then he says, I shall look again upon your holy temple. So while he was running from God, the eye contact was broken. And now with the change of posture, he's looking to the temple. And the temple would have been the place where God meets His people. It's the place where sacrifices are offered on behalf of people's sins. And so Jonah looks back to God again. Do you remember the movie The Horse Whisperer? It's a little bit of an old movie at this point. Um, so it was based uh, on a cowboy named Buck Braneman, um, who his, his life is covered in this other documentary called Buck. Uh, if you watch one of the two I'd recommend the documentary. It's really fascinating. Um, Buck was famous, uh, this horse trainer, for taking really misbehaved uh, horses who were fighting against their owners and, and just seemed impossible. And then like Having this like supernatural connection with these horses, and getting them to submit and to surrender and to train these horses—I guess it was called the tradition—is the California Vaquero tradition of training, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, but listen to this quote that I, that I saw about Brandeman. It said Braneman's training technique for difficult or troubled horses comes from the so-called natural horsemanship movement. Far from breaking horses in, Brandeman communicates with them, often by waving small flags. He looks at the world from the horse's point of view, almost acting as a therapist to undo the mistakes or problems of their owners. If you've ever seen, he's still alive, he's still doing this, you can look him up on YouTube. If you've ever seen him take a wild, misbehaved, fighting horse and then turn him into a gentle, calm, surrendered horse, I mean, it is amazing to watch this take place. It does look supernatural. Um, But in this documentary, when you watch it happen, you can see the change in posture of these horses from fighting to surrendering. What an image it gives us. Um, God gets Jonah's attention, and he uses it to bring about this change in posture from fighting to surrendering. And I want you just to take a moment and reflect on that. Um, Has God gotten your attention? Is he getting your attention right now in life? Uh, It might have been years ago. This might be happening right now. Um, But if God has gotten your attention, just two questions for you if that's where you find yourself. Are you talking to Him? Are you communicating with God? Are you praying to Him in the midst of this? And are you looking at Him? And maybe a more specific way to think about that is are you going to those places where you can be with Him uh, in His Word or in the local church with the body of believers? If God has gotten your attention with something in your life right now, how are you responding to that? Um, Are you fighting against Him? Or are you surrendering to Him? There's a change in posture that we see in Jonah. But we also see a change in direction. Let's talk about this change in direction. What's the change in direction that happens? Um, Jonah's life begins to look different. Look at the very end of our passage, chapter 2, verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah up out upon the dry land. Okay, so God has the fish vomit Jonah out on the dry land. Gross. But when Jonah returns to dry land, what's going to happen? If you look ahead to chapter 3, the mission to the Ninevites is going to continue. We're going to look at that more in depth in a few weeks, but right after this verse, chapter 3, it starts, God's going to call him again to go to the Ninevites, and what's going to happen? This time, he's going to go. So he didn't just have a change of posture, no, a change of heart towards God. His life actually begins to change. Important thing to see here. True repentance will show itself in a change of direction in our life. True repentance will show itself in a change of direction in our lives. Let me quote from you uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. That's question and answer um, summary of what we believe to be true about the Bible. There's a question on repentance. Um, It asks the question, what is repentance unto life? I'm gonna read the answer. Some big words here, um, but there's there's a phrase I want to highlight. Repentance unto life is a saving grace, whereby a sinner out of a true sense of their sin, an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, does with grief and hatred of their sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of an endeavor after new obedience. All right, that's a mouthful. Uh, it's saying that when we repent, we turn from our sin and we turn to God. In His grace and mercy to us in Jesus. And then we strive to live in obedience to Him. The the language is endeavoring after new obedience. There's a new direction that is inevitable with our repentance. Now, that doesn't mean that we just repent of something one time and then we turn and we never struggle with that thing again. And suddenly we're perfect in that area. That's not how it works. Um, There are particular things that we may struggle with for the rest of our lives. But the question is, what direction are we facing? Are we facing a new direction in that particular area? Here's an example. Very hypothetical. Hypothetically speaking. All right, let's say that we have a trash can in our kitchen at home. And, um, you know, there's a bag liner in that trash can. And um, I will um, take that bag of trash out of the trash can itself. And I will um, not put a new trash bag in the trash can immediately. But I will instead take that bag of trash and I'll take it out to my driveway where there's a big trash bin and I'll put the the big trash bag in the trash bin. And while I'm outside, let's say, hypothetically, I get distracted, I start talking to a neighbor, or maybe my kids are out there playing. 30 minutes, an hour goes by, I come back in and I realized I never put the new trash bag back in the trash can, and so it was left vacant, which can be really inconvenient if you have, let's say, a handful of trash in your hands and you're trying to throw trash away. And let's just say, hypothetically speaking, that a very important person in my household brought this to my attention. That maybe there's a theme of me taking the trash out and getting distracted and not putting a new trash bag in the trash can, which would be very helpful if I could just remember to do that. Okay, I could respond in two different ways. Both ways I say I'm sorry. I could say, look, sorry, my bad. And then just keep committing the same offense over and over again, not facing a new direction, but continuing to forget and making zero effort to put a new trash bag in the trash can. That would be pretty disrespectful to this very important person in my house. Or I could say sorry and make a concerted effort to put the new bag in the trash can. And look, maybe I'll still forget sometimes. Maybe I forgot to do this like earlier today. Um, But the trajectory has changed. I'm facing a new direction. Um, But my behavior with the trash can is going to tell a story about the degree to which I'm really repentant in my heart. All right, so in Jonah's situation it was pretty clear what it would look like for him to repent and turn from his sin. For him to repent and obey. It was pretty clear. It would mean for him to stop running from God, to listen to him, and actually go to the Ninevites. Do the thing that God is telling him to do. So when Jonah sets foot on Ninevite soil and proclaims God's message to them, we know that he really has repented, that he has turned. That's the litmus test, right? Well, what we're going to find out in chapters 3 and 4 is that even with that, that's going to be a little bit messy So we're going to see that maybe Jonah hasn't fully repented, that maybe he hasn't fully got it. We're going to have to explore that together. But for now, we see this. There's a change in posture, and there's a change in direction for him. Okay, really important question to to ask about these changes in Jonah. What caused the change? What caused this change? Look at verses 5 and 6. Again, he's praying, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. He's talking about being in the depths of the ocean. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. Okay, He's comparing his descent into the ocean as a descent into Sheol, the darkness, the separation from God. And yet what? Yet God brought him up from the pit. Look at verse 9. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. All right, these changes in Jonah are a result of God's gracious rescue of Jonah. What a picture of God's grace! God chases after rebellious Jonah, uses a storm, uses a giant fish to get his attention, to bring about these changes. And why does God do this? Why does God do something like this for someone like Jonah? He does it because he loves Jonah. Jonah is a child of God. The theme of the book of Jonah is God's compassion. And this is a picture of God having compassion on Jonah because he loves Jonah. Um, I have a friend in another city who openly shares his story of of battling uh, drug addiction. And he was really entrenched in the world of drug addiction. He was like um, following this very popular band around and and basically at every concert he would sell drugs at their concerts. And he was very just entrenched in this world. It was like his livelihood and everything. And at the height of his addiction, he met an older man uh, who had a passing addiction. He met this man through cycling, actually. This this guy reached out to him and said, hey, let's, let's start riding bikes together. So the old man reaches out, they start riding bikes together. And over time, this guy just kept pursuing my friend. He kept reaching out to him time and time again, loving him, saying, hey, let's go ride bikes, let's go ride bikes, let's talk, let's talk. Over and over and over again. And as my my friend tells a story, he will say it was this man's love for him and pursuit of him, getting him to come out and ride bikes with him, that finally broke him. That forced him to be honest about his situation with his drug addiction and begin to bring about change in his life. God often uses loving pursuit to bring about change. It's true for my friend, it's true for Jonah, and it's true for us. Um, What is the picture of God lovingly pursuing those who are in rebellion against Him, running away from Him, wanting nothing to do with Him? What's the picture of it? It's the cross. It's the cross of Christ. We said this last week, hopefully we say this every week. It was love that sent Jesus to come and rescue us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Um, If there is any uh, big event that will rattle us and get our attention, it's the death of the perfectly righteous One, Jesus Christ, on the cross for people like you and me. And when this big event gets our attention, how do we respond? We repent. We turn from our sin and living for ourselves and our idolatry and, and, and living for the things of this world, and we turn to God and His grace and mercy towards us. And there's this transformation, this change that happens. Um, the book of Jonah has a way of forcing big questions on the reader. We're going to continue to see this theme. Verse 8 does that. I haven't spoken to verse 8 yet. Look at verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Remember, this is Jonah praying. What's he talking about here? Oddly enough, commentators say that he he's probably talking about those pagan sailors we talked about last week who end up getting converted and believing. But he doesn't realize that at this point. Um, they did turn from their idols and repent, but he he doesn't realize that. He says, "Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of the steadfast love." Okay, But even what he says, though, in that prayer remains true for us today. If we give ourselves to anything other than God, center our lives on anything else, then we forsake our hope of the steadfast love of God. We're saying that we would rather have our lives centered on something else other than the love of God in Jesus Christ. Verse 8 is describing someone who is so entrenched in their running from God uh, that their posture, their direction life, they're so far away from God that they don't actually know Him personally. That they're living for these vain idols. And this could be any one of us who don't know Jesus. What might be the vain idols that you are centering your life around? Because the truth is, we were made to center our lives around Jesus. And to know Him personally. To experience His love and His forgiveness. And the rescue that He accomplished for us on the cross. And that's what's on offer for you this afternoon. Uh, What if today was a day that God intervened, that He got your attention uh, by His grace, changed your posture, changed your direction in life? If you feel God stirring in you this afternoon, you want to chat more about that, let's talk after the service today. Why don't you pray with me? Father, thank You that You're a God of compassion. You're a God who pursues, who chases after us, and who creates and causes and uses big events in our life to get our attention, to draw us back to Yourself, to bring about a change in our posture and a change in the direction of our lives. So Father, would You do this work of change in us, even this afternoon? Would You help us to know where we are in relation to You? That may just land so differently for so many different people today. Help us to know by Your Spirit, where are we in relation to You? And Father, as we prepare to come to this table, I pray that You would help us to get a tangible, felt sense of Jesus' nearness to us. We pray this in His name. Amen. If that that good news about Him, then you're invited to come and feast at this table this afternoon. But if that does not describe you, hold off on coming to this table and and, and, and during this time just sort of sit and pray and reflect and think about your own life and your own story. And if you have questions about what it would mean for you to follow Jesus, I would love to talk with you.